0: If you would like to participate as a guest or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Henry Doss started his first business in 1991, selling, installing, servicing, and financing computers to large corporations. Since then, he has founded a succession in firms in the e-commerce, finance, real estate, and consumer product spaces. For much of the past decade, he has taken his experience as an entrepreneur and used it as a platform to coach other business owners and founders. In addition, in 2019, he self-published a 432-page book on everything you need to know about how to grow and manage your money. He offers a 20-week course where he teaches you one-on-one. He also runs curated masterminds on business and finance. Our interview will continue after messages from our sponsors. One of the most vexing and difficult challenges all business leaders face is what do I do on Monday morning at 8 o'clock to grow my business? In his best selling book, Aligning the Dots, Dr. Philippe Wissou introduces a new universal data driven and prescriptive methodology to deliver sustained growth for any business. Get a copy now on Amazon or at aligningthedots.com. Welcome, Henry Doss. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Happy Monday. Happy Monday. We're so happy to have you in our podcast. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? I'm ready to go. So Henry, tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Brief backstory. I started as an entrepreneur
1: 30 years ago, 1991. Before that, I had worked for a uh, Fortune 100 big industrial company when I got out of school with an electrical engineering degree. And then I worked for the New York Stock Exchange as a computer programmer, building trading systems. But by the time I was 30, I started my own business as a side hustle. And now I'm 61. going to be 62 in July. So for pretty much my whole adult life, I've been working without a net, starting businesses, running them, ending them, you know, when they don't work anymore. And now I coach people. Those who can do, those who can't coach, right?
0: Oh, no. That's a, that's a
1: joke. That's a terrible, terrible joke.
0: That's a terrible joke.
1: I know. You've got teachers there. That's what they used to say about teachers.
0: Yeah, we don't want to go there, though.
1: We don't want to go anywhere near that one. So you're uh,
0: coaching now. So tell us about that.
1: So I coach entrepreneurs who are basically you know, where I was 25 years ago, I created something that I call coach approach strategic advisor. So what does that mean? I did a year of coach training because if I'm going to go into this new field, I want to know how it works and I want to learn from other coaches. And then I cherry picked what I liked and I kind of threw away what I didn't like. And then I added in everything of my entrepreneurial experience because I didn't want to leave that off the table because it doesn't make any sense. I'm dealing with entrepreneurs. And I think I found a nice little balance there. I coach them on leveling up their business. I coach them on being what we call a coach approach leader, how to lead their employees, their vendors, even their customers. And then I also wrote a book called FQ Financial Intelligence. So I run a course to teach people everything they need to know about money. Thematically, it's all really coaching, just helping people one-on-one. That's what I do.
0: Okay. So where can we connect with you?
1: So my website is called DAS Knowledge, D-A-A-S-N-E-S knowledge So that's the best place that has everything about my coaching my fq book my paid masterminds that i do again everything is coachy coachy stuff
0: i happen to think that you can't really lead well if you don't know how to coach well
1: great Can point you to that it's a large large component of that uh, mm-hmm. it's not everything but it is a huge component and without it you know it's hard to inspire people
0: hmm. Well, I'm in my queen age years. <laughs> okay, I got gotcha. you. So there is a gap, right? The new entrepreneurs that are coming up different generation speak to why our generation is a good fit for that? Why should they select you as a coach? Well, it's funny, I wrote
1: a 25 page or 30 page PDF that's on my website, which you can download for free. And it's basically 10 things to ask when hiring a coach. Uh, because I I just decided to compile everything that people had asked me, right? So one of the important things that I think is kind of what's your experience as an entrepreneur? You know, I've met a lot of coaches and I'll be honest, and I, I don't mean this to be derisive, but there's many a coach who's never run a business other than their coaching practice, right? I've run businesses in the IT space, real estate, a whole bunch of different places. Before I got to the part where I said, okay, now I'm qualified to coach other people. And even then I said, I still got to go through a year of coach training in order to really make sure that I know what I'm doing here before I go out and affect people's lives. Because let's face it, you are helping people make life-changing decisions, hopefully for the positive, but there's no guarantee. There really are. There's a lot of risk involved with this. So you have to be careful. One of the things I learned in the coaching training is what they call judgment-free awareness, My job is not to judge you, no matter how preposterous your idea might be from a business perspective. My job isn't to say that's dumb. I'm writing a book about business. It's not a sequel to the FQ book. It's a separate book that's all about my business experience. And I wrote something about Fred Smith, who founded FedEx. FedEx was founded from a paper that he wrote when he was at Yale, and his professor poo-pooed it said this is preposterous flying packages around the country it's the dumbest thing i've ever heard right obviously he proved him wrong there's a bit more to that story but it's really really interesting well that's not something that i do we'll just chop it up and decide whether it really is preposterous because another thing you'll find on my website is five reasons small businesses fail right? Another thing that grew out of my coaching experience and, you know, building patterns and seeing things. And the number one reason, it's a plot spoiler, number one reason that businesses fail is your idea sucks. (laughs) There's just no other way to sugarcoat it. Really bad idea.
0: (laughs) Like Kevin Leary says, take it to the back and shoot it.
1: I won't be that quite dramatic. But yeah, if you've watched Shark Tank, who do they invest in on Shark Tank? They don't invest in ideas. They invest in people. Right. I've seen people come up there with preposterous ideas, but they really like the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I've also seen people come up with rock star ideas, but the entrepreneur is a flake. So I love your idea, but I don't like you. And I invest in people, right? As leaders, we invest in people, right? But we don't just hire them and then throw them to the wolves. I know lots of entrepreneurs who've done that. And it ends up being in most cases, an epic fail because unfortunately, left to their own devices, people will run amok. They need coaching. They need guidance. They need leadership. They need you to model how they should behave, just like being a parent.
0: So, you know, we're in the space of leadership here and you've had a wealth of experience. Electrical engineer to me says, you know, you have a beautiful mind. The fact that you were also on the stock market and you created some really important software. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Trading systems for both the New York Stock Exchange and the Amex. So the stuff that the guys used on the floor. Now that's changed a lot because it's electronic trading now. Back in the old days, there was a guy. Yeah. (laughs) He was called a specialist and his job was to maintain orderly flow. Now it's a computer that was programmed by a guy. Or a gal. Right.
0: So, when you look at your experience and you really sit with leadership, what are the top three characteristics that are important in leadership?
1: There's really only one thing that you need to be a leader, and that's followers.
0: Okay, so way. let me rephrase that. <laughs> like. It's absolutely true, but I'm going to rephrase my question to be a great leader.
1: To be a great leader. There's an old saying that people will not remember. What you do, they will not remember what you say. What they will remember is how did you make them feel? And that to me is the essence of what makes a great leader. That leader should make you feel things that you might not feel otherwise, right? Just like a coach. They're inspiring you to be better than you thought was possible, Mm -hmm. That's very bold. So if you look at, say, political leaders as an example, what's their overarching objective? Really to give you hope, tell you that no matter how bad things may appear, they're not. Mm -hmm. You're having distorted thoughts. Even in something like COVID, we saw this very distinctly with the Trump administration versus the Biden administration. The Trump administration Again, this is just one man's opinion. They did not inspire hope or confidence. Even though I'll give them their props for the Operation Warp Speed, even I was shocked that we were able to develop a vaccine that quickly. That's amazing. But we went through so much hardship because our leaders were really not telling us the truth. And even though the truth can sometimes be really harsh, right? This is an incredibly dangerous disease, you need to you know, hunker down. If that's the truth. And if that's the reality, you're not sparing anyone as a leader by hiding them from bad news. No. I was on a podcast on Saturday, we were talking about money, we we're talking about my FQ book. And I said the most difficult thing with people who take my course and with people who read my book is getting them out of the denial, you have to sit down and figure out your net worth. What do you have for assets and what do you have for liabilities? And the outcome may be really, really ugly. The opposite of that is for people to just bury their head in the sand, wake up 30 years later when they're about to retire and realizing they have no money. That's a cold slap in the face. If I can prevent somebody from running that scenario, if I can raise their mind, make them mindful at the age of 30, I've done them an enormous service they're not going to know it at the time. They'll know it in hindsight, uh, which is another thing that great leaders do. They go out and they take that risk, even if it's unpopular. We saw that again in sharp relief. We saw someone coming out and saying, uh, it'll go away. All of these magical thinking, because they were afraid to tell people what the truth was because they thought they couldn't handle it. And you know what? People can handle it. People are amazingly resilient. We've seen that over the last year. It'll be a shock to start, but then if you can lead them being a role model,
0: they'll fall into line. Again, most people are followers. So Henry, you have overdelivered here. (laughs) I love the quote by Maya Angelou. It's one of my favorites, which tells me this. I
1: forgot to say I forgot to attribute it to Maya Angelou. That's
0: okay. That's okay. uh, That was an oversight on my part. Although
1: I guarantee you somebody (laughs) back in ancient Egypt probably said the exact same
0: thing. I got you. No worries. We'll
1: we'll give Maya her props because she's right. right.
0: So I asked you for three, you gave me five. So a leader has followed. A leader values others. And also a leader inspires hope. A leader takes risks and a leader models where they want their followers to go. So I love that.
1: (laughs) I'm glad somebody kept track.
0: So speaking of hope, I read your leadership statement and it says hope is not a plan. I'm not wearing
1: that t-shirt today, but I have that on a t-shirt because I make snarky (laughs) t-shirts.
0: Well, I figured you have a snarky t-shirt because you have a message.
1: Yeah, I do. And I wear it on my chest. I have lots of them. I even have them on my website. My personal website is just Henry Das, H E N R Y D A A S. And if you go in there, you'll see a little thing that says snarky t-shirts. And you can kind of go through all of the shirts that I've created over the last couple of years that sort of (laughs) deliver a message. I mean, I've been stopped on the street. One of my favorite shirts, which I dedicate to my wife, it says, I'd rather be right than happy. I've I had a woman stop me on the street with a camera and take a picture of it. I've been married for 30 years. Yeah. Years was our 30th anniversary. And as I often say, my wife is always right and I'm never wrong. Uh. <laughs> so hope is not a plan is something that grew out of my coaching practice because I was hearing people say, my plan is this, 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 because we work on some strategic stuff and I'm hoping for this kind of an outcome. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, hope is not the plan. Yes, we must have hope in our life from a a psychological standpoint right when everything's gloom and doom we want to see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming locomotive right it's gone on with covid people are hoping that covid can end hoping 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 but the plan is operation warp speed right? What was missing from that plan, if I may be so bold, was how are we going to get this wonderful vaccine that we created in record speed into people's arms? Again, I'm going to throw the previous administration under the bus because they're the previous administration, and that's our right to do that. They had no plan for how they were going to convince a significant portion of this population that's either skeptical or downright against the idea that they're going to participate in this vaccine. And it does not work if we don't get everybody to participate. Again, a leadership failure.
0: Yeah,
1: Biden's tried to correct that. I've seen some public messages about it. I think they're a little soft. I'm going to probably create my own public message fairly shortly. Uh, Put it on a t-shirt? It's actually not. It's going to be a video. You can't tell how long my hair is, but I haven't cut my hair since before COVID, January of last year was the last time I cut my hair. And I told my wife, I'm not going to cut my hair until I'm fully vaccinated. Well, I'm now fully vaccinated. So I'm gonna let her cut my hair. And I said, you know, you can buzz all my hair off because it's kind of a rebirth. But I'm gonna do a little video around it as a kind of a very bold PSA that essentially says, time to get your head out of your you know what and get yourself vaccinated. Because the only way that we are gonna get through this is if everybody participates.
0: Hey leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Do you get headaches or don't feel quite right after a glass or two of wine? Well, you're not alone. I recently discovered organic, clean-crafted wines that are a game-changer for me. Scout & Cellar has a clean-crafted commitment to ensure that they produce wines without synthetic chemicals as they take care of the earth in the process. I can now enjoy wine without any adverse effects. Visit scoutandcellar.com forward slash lily. That's S-C-O-U-T-A-N-D-C-E-L-L-A-R.com forward slash L-I-L-Y and learn more about these delicious wines. You'll be glad you did. Great leaders deserve great wines. Thank you for sharing that message of hope. So Henry, yeah. as a lifelong learner, right. what are you learning right now?
1: Right now, I've kind of been in a little bit of a maelstrom with the world's you know, longest move. But what I'm going to be learning shortly is I'm going to start studying for my real estate license. Even though I don't really need it, I want to learn it. I have some plans to potentially buy some investment properties, even though the market's totally overheated right now. It won't stay that way forever. So I want to be prepared for that. So that's kind of like the next real tactical challenge that
0: I have. That's a smart move. I think real estate is a great thing to learn. I have wanted to dabble in that. Yeah. Another thing
1: I've decided that sometime within the next several months, I'm going to add another adjunct to my coaching practice. So I have the entrepreneurial coaching and I have the personal finance coaching. This goes along in the entrepreneurial coaching genre. Going to be building something that's specifically aimed at what are called retirepreneurs. Because when I did the research for my FQ book, I discovered that the largest growing sector of entrepreneurs are retirepreneurs, you know, people who, for whatever reason, retired. Maybe they were in corporate America for 40 years or whatever the case was, and then they retire and they realize it ain't all it's cracked up to be. So whether it be for additional income or more importantly, a friend of mine just sent me an article recently that espoused the theory that all the great entrepreneurs, the number one thing they're driven by is purpose, right? So imagine that you've lived your whole life working and now you're tripping over the vacuum cleaner, there's only so much golf you can play. And I'm a golfer and I love to play golf, but I don't want to turn golf into my occupation. After that gets out of your system, maybe it's a year or two after retirement, a lot of people get the itch, but they've never been entrepreneurs before. And it's the challenge.
0: I think that's so smart. And I always said, you know, Moses started his stuff when he was 80. He was (laughs) a tad
1: late to the game. But look at Colonel Sanders. There were famous stories. I think it was the author Raymond Chandler and didn't write a word till he was 56 years old. I don't believe that there is any expiration date on any of that stuff. I'm a screenwriter. I've written 11 screenplays. So a couple of years ago, I went to California for a symposium for three days with about 50 other screenwriters who were part of a course that I went to. So here I am in my late 50s, Joe Hollywood, right? Like I'm gonna break into Hollywood. And I get there and I'm kind of in the middle of the pack age wise. That was eye opening for me that Mm -hmm. there were at least a dozen people, if not more, who were older than me, who were there plowing the fields and trying to write screenplays and get them made into films. I was really dumbstruck by that.
0: Wow. Yeah. So I think that's super smart. That you have targeted that. You've got something there. Well, in
1: that case, I'm the entrepreneur who's the same age as them. So I can relate to them. Not that I can't relate to millennials. My three boys are all millennials. So I know a thing or two about that. But it's a different set of challenges. The challenge that I find with the younger entrepreneurs, a lot of them are financial related. Many of them live in scarcity mindset. And as a coach, I tell people, look, I'm easy to hire. I'm even easier to fire. And I am. A lot of coaches require 30 days notice, 60 days notice. I require zero days notice. If you don't want to be here anymore, at the risk of sounding cavalier, I don't want you here. Mm -hmm. I won't try to talk you out of it. We'll finish up whatever you paid me for and we'll go on our way. That's a monetary thing. With the older people that I have coached, that all goes away
0: because
1: most of them, hopefully they've made bank at some point. It's not about putting food on the table. It's about having a purpose. But another, you know, horrifying cliche, anything worth doing is worth doing well. So these are people who want to do something, and it may even be philanthropic. It may be anything, but whatever it is, there are a whole set of entrepreneurial challenges, especially if you've worked in corporate America. You don't have an HR department. You don't have a finance department. You're it. So you better figure out how it works.
0: So I want to ask you something about leadership. When you think of leadership today, Henry, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about?
1: What concerns me is, well, Lincoln said it best, I guess, a house divided cannot stand, Mm -hmm. right? My personal feeling is Mm -hmm. that the media has played, and social media especially, a very negative role in bringing people together. Because my personal feeling is my friends will tell you that they've never met anyone who's more sort of cynical than I am, right? I say, I'm not a cynic, I'm a realist. And then they laugh, but I'm also a bright sider. I'm very optimistic. I have enormous amounts of hope and I want everybody to do well, right? And I want to help people do well. And my feeling is that this country is nowhere near as divided as the media will portray it. Mm-hmm. That is done to drive eyeballs to their stuff, to continue to put out a narrative that's chaotic. As a screenwriter, you can't write a story that doesn't have conflict. You can't write a story where the protagonist doesn't have to make life-changing choices mm-hmm. because it's boring. Right. It just is. So there has to be conflict, and the folks in the media know the same thing. I think at a very basic level, people want to know that they're safe,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that they have an opportunity, and that there aren't artificial barriers to their opportunity. Now, I'm talking as a boomer, a white guy. Let's face it, I sit at the top of the pyramid. There are no social programs out there that benefit guys like me, middle aged white guys sitting at the top of the pyramid, nor should there be. Right. Right? And when folks in positions like mine and much greater than mine complain, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. So there are massive inequalities and there are massive social issues where there are sharply divided opinions. But the only reason that we can survive and we can have a dialogue is because at the core, we all want the same thing. We want our children to be safe. We want a good education. We want to know that when we get older, our health care is taken care of right? That we're not going to end up in a Medicaid nursing home, right? After a lifetime of working and toiling, paying our taxes and living a righteous life. This is a universal thing, regardless, I think, of your country of origin, your ethnicity, your citizenship. This is 90% of it. And yet we have a media that's spending an enormous amount of time talking about the 10% to stir the pot, And that's not healthy. Again, we go back to the idea of truth. The inconvenient truths, as Al Gore, it's a great phrase. They're inconvenient. They're not necessarily serving our purpose. It's an inconvenient truth that climate change is a very real thing. Whether you're a denier or not, if you've got eyes and you have a memory, and I have a really good memory... And you look at the data points, you can say to yourself, never in history have we had this many traumatic storms in such a close cluster. So there has to be something there. Yes. Right. I'm a trader. I've been trading since I was a teenager. So one of the key things that I do is I trade public markets. All great traders follow patterns. They just do. As a leader, you need to follow patterns. You need to see the patterns that your followers are creating and you need to adapt to them. Yes. You may have to push back against them when they're unhealthy and that's risk. And that might cost you at the ballot box, which is you know, another problem that we have here. Alan Greenspan said years ago, and I think this is the most apt way to describe The political situation that we're in now he said used to be a time that you went to a cocktail party in Washington and regardless of who was hosting it, it was about 50 50 Republican and Democrat, he said now and he said this several years ago, you will go to a party and if it's run by the Republicans, it will be 98% Republicans and maybe there might be a smattering of some other moderates from the other side and the same thing held for the democrats. If people stop socializing because of their political differences that spells trouble.
0: Division certainly is a concern. What are you most hopeful about? I'm hopeful that cooler heads will prevail
1: and that now that we have sleepy joe, I would love nothing more to have a sleepy next 4 years. I've already exhaled from the last 4 years. So nothing would make me happier for us to have four really sleepy years so that people could kind of reset and get a little bit of a perspective on things and understand that that kind of chaos was a means to an end. You don't want to be the foil for that. You need to be smarter and more attentive than
0: that. When you say sleepy, I interpret that as as not someone who wants to stir the pot for their own advantage. And so I'm with you. So you have a choice here. You can either take a question from a former guest, or you can share a challenge or struggle that you learned from. I like the first one. Door number one. Okay. Karen Reed wants to know, what advice would you have for your 20-year-old self?
1: Great question. I would say, don't be so risk-averse. Don't live in scarcity, embrace abundance as a 20 year old. Don't wait till you're 60 years old to embrace
0: abundance. I love that. Thank you. So as a listener of this podcast, what's a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to?
1: If you couldn't be a leader, for whatever reason, for some magical, you know, I sprinkled my magical coach's fairy dust on you and you now can't be a leader. What would you be if leadership is off the table?
0: I don't even know how I would answer that question. That's an interesting question because, you know, I approach leadership from a different, thinking, because I think everybody's a leader in their own right. Like I have to learn to lead myself well, to lead my children well. That's an interesting question. All right. So Henry, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: COVID has provided a good opportunity, I think, for people to reflect, to be a little circumspect. I think it would be advisable before we launch into whatever the new, new normal is. And I've had a lot of conversations and I've been on some podcasts where we've talked about what is the world going to look like post-COVID? I reminded my 20-year-old son who's out at college and has been pretty depressed because there's no in-person classes. He's out in Salt Lake City, and it's kind of boring. And I said, your grandmother, my mother, lived through five years of World War II. You just got through one. Imagine four more years of this. And people were dying, and there were rations, and, and there were no men around. It was a whole new world. But eventually, everything adjusted afterwards. So ask yourself, what are the adjustments? What have I learned? We've been talking a lot about, you know, working from home and how that's affect entrepreneurship and such and such. And in my usual cynical way, I remind people that you're not working from home. You're living at your office. Again, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but the truth is you are. Yeah, Uh, I've worked from home in a basically a 40 year career, I figured out that I've worked from home about 40% of the time, even though I had an office in Manhattan for almost two decades. It's kind of how it works out. It's not for everybody. In fact, I would argue that it's really not for most people that humans are social creatures and they need the office space. So you need to ask yourself some really salient questions is now that I've had an opportunity to sort of hunker down and see what the world looks like when you're kind of living in a cage. Can I cherry pick like I did with the coaching stuff? Can I cherry pick out what I really liked? And can I throw away the other stuff? And can I reinvent a new version 2.0 of me? Beautiful. And tell us again, your website, Oh, so my website is dosknowledge.com. Now I have a special offer. If you go to podcast.dosknowledge.com, I offer a free month of coaching only to podcast listeners. You'll go there it'll take you to a landing page and it takes you to a survey and then you can schedule a call. I will do a month of coaching, which would be for half hour sessions. We could talk about money. We could talk about entrepreneurship. We could talk about baseball card collecting, which is another thing that I do, but I put that on hold because baseball cards have gotten very expensive for reasons that I can't figure out. We could talk about screenwriting. We talk about anything. Give you an opportunity to sort of dip your toe into what the coaching experience might be like. No obligation. I'm not expecting people to convert. I charge a decent chunk of money for my services, not to dissuade you, love to have you. But when COVID came, I opened my practice up for April, May, and June of 2020, free to anyone and all. So I had 100 free phone calls with people during that three month period entrepreneurs just wanting to shoot the breeze and wanting a leader to tell them that everything was going to be all right that be me
0: well Henry I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners
1: well it's a great pleasure to be here I really enjoyed
0: it have an amazing day you too in closing here's a quick message